Welcome to Long Hill Chapel Online. Thanks for checking out our podcast where you can listen to our latest sermons filled with teaching, encouragement, and hope from God's Word. So whether you're in the car, on the couch, or just poured some coffee, let's dive into today's message. Hey everybody, Pastor Michael here. Thanks so much for being with us today as we continue our summer series called The Power of Belief. My wife Grace works for a large corporation and one of the things she does a lot for her job is travel all over the country and even sometimes all over the world. And one of the perks I get for being married to my wife is sometimes I get to travel with her. And so we get to fly on airplanes and seats that we could never afford by ourselves. We stay in wonderful hotels, we eat wonderful food, we see amazing places, and it's all because of the work uh, that my wife does and, and the places she gets to go. And one of the things I'm very aware of is whenever I travel with her, is I am very much the recipient of a lot of things that I would never otherwise be able to partake in. I get to go places, I get to experience things, and I realize so much in those moments uh, that as I go, and everybody knows this, everybody who sees me with my wife Grace, her co-workers, the people on site, wherever she goes, they realize that uh, I'm not Michael Hadi, I'm not Pastor Michael Hadi, I am merely Grace's husband, but for me that is a wonderful privilege and a wonderful opportunity. Because I get the opportunity and the ability to receive things, to be part of things, to go to places, to experience things that otherwise I would not be able to do. And the only way that happens is because my wife Grace uses the access she has. She uses the status she has on my behalf. She allows me into those things and we get to share some of those things together. And the only leg that I have to stand on in those moments, it's not anything I do, it's not anything I've achieved, it's not any of my credibility or my background or my pedigree, it is purely and it is only because I have a relationship with her. And in those moments, and I'm so aware of this in those moments, there are a couple of responses that would be absolutely inappropriate. If she were to offer me the opportunity to travel with her, I could reject it and I could say, no, I'm going to figure out how to do this on my own. Or I could act like I was entitled. I could act like I deserved it. And I know very much that I don't deserve it. And so both of those would be the wrong response, but the right response. And it's the response I feel every time that we do this is to receive it gratefully, but with an open hand. To receive it gratefully, to be thankful for it, but to know I've done nothing to merit it, nothing to deserve it, except for the fact that I have a relationship with my wife, Grace. And today, as we continue in the power of belief, we're going to look at one of the pillars of our Christian faith. And that's really what we're doing all summer as we journey through the series. We're going to look at one of the pillars that's a really challenging one. It's the fact that Jesus, who we believe wasn't just a great moral teacher, and we talked a little bit about this in previous weeks, we believed he was Savior and Lord, the Son of God, the very uh, image of God made in human form for us, come to earth, died, and risen again so that we would have victory over sin and power and the grave. But the fact that Jesus did all of that, all of those dramatic things on our behalf, He literally gave his life. He used his status on our behalf, on your behalf, and on my behalf. And so today we're going to look at why did he have to do that? Why did Jesus die? 
What did that accomplish? And how, most importantly, should we respond as a result? And that's where we're going to journey together. And today we're going to look uh, at a book in the New Testament called the Book of Romans. It's this very dense theological book uh, that was written to the early Christians in Rome by the Apostle Paul, who very often we talk about here at Long Hill Chapel. He wrote many letters and much of the New Testament, and he wrote to early churches, and he helped guide them in their belief system and how they should live as a result. He corrected, he exhorted, he encouraged, and he very often challenged them. And so today we're going to look at Romans, the very end of the fourth chapter in verse 25, uh, into chapter 5 through about verse 11. Uh, in the original text, there would not have been chapter and verse markings. This was a continuous strain of, train of thought that the Apostle Paul would have been, he would have been working through with these early believers. And so in verse 25 of chapter 4, uh, Paul writes this, he says, He, and that he is Jesus, by the way, was delivered over to death, why? For our sin and was raised to life for our justification. So he says the reason that Jesus died was because of something that we had, something that you had and I had, and every person who has walked the face of the earth has sin. And that's not a word that's a very popular word in our culture, certainly at this point. None of us, even those of us who are Jesus followers, we don't love to talk about this. But there's this idea that is foundational to our faith, that you and I are born into sin. We're not born perfect. We're not born naturally going in the right direction. If you've had little kids, and I have some little kids, we all know this, that our kids don't naturally go in the right direction. They naturally very often go in the wrong direction. And that's a perfect picture that that's how we come. We come broken. We come fallen. We come imperfect. We're born into sin. It's this thing that we're both born into and that we do with alarming regularity. And so the reason that Jesus came, he came and he died for our sins. Because later on, the Apostle Paul writing in this very same book to the Roman Christians, he says the wages of sin is death. So the thing that sin earns is death. It leads somewhere. It leads us in a direction. It leads us to separation from God, but it also leads in the direction of death, destruction, and decay. And so what Jesus did is he took the payment or the penalty of what we had earned with our sin on himself. He took that penalty. He died for our sins. But we believe that death is not the end. If you are a Jesus follower, one of the most critical things that we believe is that death is not the end. For everyone else in the world, death is the end. When you reach the end of your life, when your loved ones reach the end of their life, that's it. But for Jesus, death was not the end because we believe, we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks, that he died and rose on the third day and had victory over sin and death. And so what happens is he died for our sins, but then it says in that verse that he was raised to life for our justification. And that's a word that we don't use a whole lot, justification. What it really means is it means to, that we are made or shown to be right. When you're justified in something, you're shown to have been correct or been right. And so we discover that even though we weren't right, Jesus made us right. Even though we were sinners, Jesus took the penalty for that. He died, but then he rose again, and he made us in right standing before God. And what we do so often is we spend so much of our lives, 
trying to prove that we're right, that we're good, that we're worthy. We do this in a lot of different ways. But Jesus already did that. He already accomplished that. Paul goes on, picking up in chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, Therefore, and remember, we always say, when you see the word therefore, what is the therefore? It's a transition. It's taking us in a new direction. Since we've been justified through not our hard work, not our output, not our ability to achieve or prove ourselves, but justified through faith in Jesus, believing that Jesus was who he said he was and that he did what he said he was going to do. He took our sin. He took the penalty that was going to be ours, that wages of sin that was death. And he took it upon himself and he died in our place, but then was raised to life. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace into which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. It does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so he shows what happens as a result of this. He shows, he kind of goes right to the end. He says, this is now how we can live as a result of what Jesus did. And we're going to come back to that in just a little bit. But let's keep reading. Verse 6, you see, just at the right time when we were still powerless. We were still powerless. We had nothing to offer, no status. We were not in control. And if you and I are honest with ourselves, we really hate this. None of us likes to be in a position where we feel powerless, where we feel like we're out of control. But when we were in that place, whether we thought we were, whether we knew we were, whether we were struggling against it but weren't accomplishing anything, we were powerless. But Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. And so the Apostle Paul, as he's saying this, he's setting something up. But here we go. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still stuck in that place, while we were still earning the wages of sin, which is death, while we were still powerless, while we had nothing to offer, we had nothing that we could contribute to this situation, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Still sinners still powerless. Let's be honest for a second. When most of us think of sinners, we think of other people. We think of people who do things that we don't do, who sin in a different way than we do. We look at the people and are like, well, thank goodness I don't do what those people do. I'm not like them. But Paul uses this word. He says, we. He's saying, this is you and I. It's not the other people. It's not the people out there. It's not the people outside the church. It's all of us. There's this thing that we had that was born into us, but then we practiced and we nurtured that broke the relationship we had with God, and that's sin. And we have a hard time with this, honestly. We either try to avoid the label altogether, and you can just look around the world and see how out of fashion it is to talk about the fact that we're broken people who do broken things. But on the other hand, when we try to face it on our own, we get crushed by it. We get crushed by shame. 
And there's some of us, and there may even be some of you who are watching or listening to this, who are chased around by the feeling constantly that you could never measure up. Because here's what we do as people. We are constantly placing ourselves in a pecking order, in a hierarchy. Scientists have actually proven that we do this. It's hardwired into our species. It's how we organize. It's how we interrelate in community. We would never say it, but subtly there are people in the world that when you look at them, you think you're a little bit above them. You have a leg up on them. You're, you're doing better than they are. You're achieving more. You live in a better zip code. You have a nicer house or a nicer car or a bigger bank account or you're more talented. And we would never say this out loud. But we subtly believe that there's some people we're just a little bit ahead of. But then there's another group of people, and they're people we look at, and we look at what they've done, or what they have, or where they live, or what they can do, or who they're married to, or what their kids are like, or what their relationships are like, or what they have achieved in their careers that we haven't. And we look at them and say, well, we don't measure up to those people, and we we strive and we spend our lives trying to do that, trying to measure up to those people. And so we're always placing ourselves in a hierarchy, in a pecking order, because underneath it, there's something that's true about you and it's true about me. We want to be perceived differently than we actually are. There's a way that we believe we are, that we see we are, that maybe even we know we are inside, and that's not what we want the world to see. And so we become performers. And a performer, you think of a performer as someone who does music or theater or dance or maybe someone who really achieves in sports. They put on something that is something they've worked on, that they've striven towards, that they've rehearsed, that they've practiced, that they've trained themselves. It's something more than they usually are. And there's this gap between who they are the rest of the time and what they do in those moments. But we're all this way. We all try to perform because we want to be seen differently than who we actually are. Here's a little example of that. How many of you, when you have people come over, and they can be new people that you've never had over to your house, they can be your dearest friends, how many of you try to clean up your house at least a little bit? when someone comes over. Most of us do that. Some of us go completely nuts and we do the whole thing top to bottom. But we try to tidy things up and we try to make things better and we can say it's really because you know we want to serve our guests and that's certainly true. But a lot of it is because we want to be perceived differently than we actually are. And the thing I've discovered, maybe you've discovered this, is those people coming over, they have a messy house too. We all have it, but we're all trying to put our best face forward. Because there's this idea that drives us even at those small levels that my value, what I'm worth, is equal to my performance. And so what this means when it comes to this issue of God, this issue that we know most of us that we fall short, is we do one of two things. We try to pull it together first and we try to put on the, our best performance or we just get crushed by it and we never face it. And the issue is neither of those work with God. God says your performance, whether you think you've done well, whether you think you've done poorly, whether you don't know, is meaningless because God's grace is really about us being accepted by him regardless of our performance because it's not about what we've done. 
It's not about the wages that our lives have earned because they always lead to death, but it's the gift that God has given us. It's who he sees us as because of Jesus. Because remember that word we talked about earlier, that word justified. That word means to be made right. Even when we weren't, we were made right because of who Jesus was and because of what he's done. But if we don't get out of that mindset and receive the gift that Jesus gives us, we stay in a performance mode, and sometimes we even get in a Christian version of that same thing. And it looks like this. Anything I can do to increase the perception of my performance makes me feel better about myself. So if people see me in the world, they see me from the outside better than I actually am, it makes me feel a little bit better. But there's this other thing we do too. Anything I can do to diminish others' performance makes me feel better about myself. And it's that same hierarchy. It's that same pecking order. It's saying there's some people that maybe I can push down a little bit and maybe I can pull myself up a little bit. And both of those things make me look or feel a little better than I am. And what happens when we do that is we either become hypocrites, we become people who project a false view of ourselves to the world that looks better than we are, or we become judgmental. We highlight the people around us that we think are worse than we are, and so we feel better about ourselves. And what's interesting, and follow me here, is there was a study done, it was actually a poll by the pollster George Barna, and they went out in the world and they asked a bunch of people, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of the word Christian? Guess what the two top things were? It wasn't loving, it wasn't you know, forgiving, it wasn't any of the good things we'd love to be associated with. It was Christians are known for being hypocritical and judgmental. And so, so often, instead of truly receiving the gift of God through Jesus Christ, where we can get off the performance train, we just put on a Christian version of the same thing. But remember where we started in the first verse of the chapter. The Apostle Paul says, therefore, you and I, we have peace with God. Peace is the absence of struggle. It's the absence of fighting. It's even the absence of activity. It's when things are calm. We can get off of that train altogether because that's what Jesus' death on the cross and being raised to life has bought us. We can step off the performance train. We can step away from the pecking order. We can stop worrying about trying to look better than we are, hiding, avoiding, running, looking at other people, pushing them down, pulling ourselves up and doing any of that. But to get to that place where we have peace, we have to own up to a couple of uncomfortable truths about ourselves, And it's what Paul said, that we were powerless. We couldn't do anything about our condition. We couldn't make ourselves better. We couldn't try harder. And we're sinners. Left to our own devices, we fall short of God's standard. We go in the wrong direction. And as much as receiving the gift that Jesus' death on the cross gives us, it still requires us to die a little bit of a death ourselves. It's a death to the version of ourselves that we wish was true, that we've been trying to make true, that we've been fighting for, so that we can receive instead what Jesus' death gives us. It's literally dying to a picture of how we wish we were, surrendering, giving up admitting that we are sinners 
and we are powerless. And in our world, those are two of the hardest, most unpopular things that we could possibly do. You know, there's this idea, and you've heard some version of this maybe in Christianity, that says, Jesus died so I wouldn't have to. And at one level, that's true, but it still requires us to die to a version of ourselves. Just like I have to face up when I travel with my wife, Grace, that it's her status, it's her access, it's her position that gives me the opportunity the access that I have. And the only thing that ties us together is not what I do, not what I bring, not what I offer, not who I am, not my credentials, not my resume, simply our relationship. But when you are willing to die that death to the version of yourself that you wish was true, the one we've been striving towards or maneuvering ourselves around to project to the world and we get off the performance train, that's the moment we can receive all that Christ's death purchases for us. And here's what that is. Verse 9 of chapter 5. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God, not in anything else, not in ourselves, but in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So there's that word again, justified. We've been made right by what Jesus did, so we don't have to prove ourselves right. And one of the things that's in here is this idea of God's wrath, and that's another unpopular idea. But there's this idea that God is holy, he's complete, he is all light, and he is not darkness. And so when we sin, we're separated, and we actually become opposed to God, and God becomes opposed to us. But because of Jesus, that's not the case anymore. We've been reconciled. The relationship has been restored. And as a result, we can boast, not in ourselves, but in what has been given to us. But there's one more thing that we have to do. There's a saying and I heard it, and it goes something like this. We often misinterpret, or mistakenly misinterpret the cross, Jesus' work on the cross, as Jesus made the sacrifice so I wouldn't have to sacrifice. Rather, it's more like this. Jesus made the sacrifice and invites us to join him. So how do we do that? Jesus made the sacrifice. He did the thing we couldn't do, but then he invites us to join him in living that same kind of life in every one of our actions. Remember how I said at the very beginning of our time together, we started with the end. The Apostle Paul kind of starts with the end. Let's go back to the beginning of chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul says, this is what we can do as a result of what Jesus has done. And this is the end of verse 2 and the beginning of verse 3. And so we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So when we look around us in the world, there's a lot of things that would cause us to lose hope. But when we look at what Jesus has done, we can hold on to hope. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Some other translations say hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So here's what we can do as a result. As we follow Jesus in this way, 
in this way of living and even in this way of dying to ourselves. We can rejoice in the midst of the difficulty we have in life because it cannot destroy us. You know, when you face difficulty, it reminds us that we're limited. When we run into suffering, we're reminded of our limitations. We're reminded of our humanity. And sometimes it makes us think we're doing it wrong. What the Apostle Paul says is this is part of life. This is part of something we all experience, but because of who Jesus is and because of what he's done, we can face it in a different way because it can produce different fruit. Whenever you face suffering, it reminds you a little bit of death. Certainly when we face physical suffering, it reminds us of our limited, our finite existence. But remember what Jesus did. Jesus went through death so that death no longer has power. If Jesus died to defeat it, we don't have to be afraid of it anymore. And so when we face suffering or we face difficulty, we can actually do it knowing it is producing and growing something in us that is strong and will not be destroyed and will not destroy us but will last. One of the things the early Christians in the early church were known for is not being afraid of death. Like literally when there was a plague or a pandemic, and this was before modern medicine, everybody else would be running out and they would be running in. They'd be nursing the sick back to health. They'd be ministering to the dying. They did this all the time and the world marveled at it. And the reason was because they did not believe that death was the end. They had literally staked their lives on this truth being true. What if we did that? What if we staked our lives that we don't have to use our energy, our resources, our talents to preserve ourselves, to perform the cheat death, but instead we can pour those things out even when it means we face difficulty. And so we can rejoice even when we face difficult circumstances, knowing that difficulty always comes, but we can look at it differently because we believe it's producing something. It's producing perseverance. And so the second thing we can do is we can keep going. We don't have to give up. We don't have to throw in the towel. We don't have to ask all the questions about why it's going this way because we know that God is with us. Keep going. Don't give up. And hold on to hope. Hold on to it. Cling to it. In a world that's trying to steal your hope, hold on to it. Hold on to your hope in Jesus, that Jesus has done the thing for you you could never do. And as a result, you can spend and live your life in a different direction, not trying to prove yourself to God or prove yourself to other people, but instead receiving and being filled with the love of God and pouring it out into the world around you. Just like it said in the passage, we can boast in the hope of the glory of God that right now, our present circumstances don't define us. What you're going through right now doesn't make you who you are. What Jesus has done and who Jesus has said you are, you have been justified. You've been made right. You've been shown to be right. It's all because of what Jesus has done. And we can receive that and we can glory in it and we can realize that it's not ours to deserve, but it's a gift that we have been freely given because we have peace with God. The power of sin, the power of death, the pecking order, none of that rules us anymore. But we're called to live that way out in the world every single day, in our relationships, in our circumstances, even in our difficulty, knowing that it's producing good 
fruit. And the fact that Jesus died but was raised to life is the thing that literally allows you and I to do that. And that's the power of belief. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you came, that you took on our form like we talked about last week, but then you suffered. You died on a cross. You were buried, but you rose again on the third day and defeated the power of sin and death in the grave. And so as a result, we have hope. We have hope that lasts forever. And when difficulty comes, it does not have to define us. When we are reminded of our powerlessness in situations in life, and we really hate when that happens, it does not have to define us. Even when we fall short, we know that because of what you did, you have made us right if we will only believe and trust in you as our Savior and as our Lord, as our source and as our supply. And so for some of us today, it's the first time we're going to take that step and really truly trust you for who you are to step off the performance train and receive the free gift of salvation that is yours. And for some of us, it's time for us to live that way, not just in a Christian version of this, but truly to receive the peace of God. And I pray that that would happen for my friends who are watching and listening. And we thank you for what you've done. We thank you that we can live differently. We can live in the world differently. We can face our circumstances, our difficulty, and even our suffering differently because you died on the cross for us, but you rose again, were raised to life, and you have made us right with God through no act, nothing we've earned, nothing we've done, but all because of who you are. And so we thank you for that. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for being with us today. Have a great day. We'll see you soon.